Stand up, Nuggets Nation. It's now time for the Mile High Hoops Podcast with Zach By, Presented by Superbook Sports. On your home for the most Nuggets content. Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops Podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the pod. Reacting to a wild NBA playoffs. Oh my goodness. Now, I don't have uh, notes in front of me today, guys. A lot of times, you know, we'll come in here and kind of execute a plan from uh, a, a Nuggets standpoint. But the Nuggets are done playing games, guys. They're done playing games. Their season is over. And I really, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the Nuggets offseason because I think it's really interesting and moves that can be made. And we're going to have a guest or two here uh, in the coming weeks, and just have some fun, you know, prospective conversations about the roster, uh, maybe some expectations about the ever-evolving Western Conference, and boy, is it evolving. And then also have some fun uh, sort of off-season conversations, uh, like one I just heard uh, in our common area here uh, at Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan, one of our uh, newer colleagues, Jake Shapiro, I guess he and his buddies were going back and forth saying, which um, which all any any NBA player in history to be Jokic's wingman. And I'm like, dang, I, you know, I don't have an answer to that yet because I just heard it five minutes ago. I'm like, I want to I sit down and think about that one and talk about that one. That could just be some fun fodder uh, for an off-season comp- uh, conversation. Who in NBA history would you put side-by-side side with Jokic uh, as, his, as, his, um, as his Robin, uh, if you will? But uh, here, guys, uh, it's Monday. Uh, May 16th, and on Sunday, May 15th, we saw one of the largest ass whoopings in NBA history. Guys, you couldn't make that up. For my money, considering a team with the expectations of Phoenix to get their ass handed to them the way that the Dallas Mavericks did, 123-90 to in a game that didn't feel that close, for a team that had those expectations, to get beat on their home floor by a team like the Mavericks, who are only, I think, five games over 500 on the road this season. I just can't remember. Maybe I'm a victim of recency bias. I can't remember an all-time collapse that you put side-by-side with that one. This is a Phoenix team who, you know, was being heralded. Like, And we were having debates about it here uh, behind the scenes. Like, uh, our our producer, uh, Dante Gomez, uh, he is from Arizona and is an Arizona sports fan. He was in our studios during a commercial break two weeks ago saying that this is one of the greatest rosters assembled in NBA history. And while I disagreed with him uh, rather vehemently, uh, once he especially suggested we put it side-by-side side with the Warriors and go through from 2016, I, that's just full stop for me. Um, and, and, and I thought he lo- lost that argument uh, rather um, definitively. And now, the, of course, the, the, the evidence and the proof positive of that. But, but seriously, at the time, although I disagreed vehemently, like it was at least worth a conversation because we were talking about a team who was in the NBA Finals a year ago and followed up with a 64-win season. I mean, guys, this was a team that was 32-9 and nine at home. I just it, an incredible uh, regular season. And you saw some of the, hmm, shall I say, like uh, 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 chips uh, in the armor uh, that in that first-round series against a 36-win uh, Pelicans team. 
and they struggled a little bit with them. Now, uh, they ultimately dispatched uh, the Pelicans in what was uh, what was it? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. It was six games. So even on its surface, like the one eight matchup goes six games. Um, and I know Devin Booker wasn't uh, wasn't uh, healthy a hundred percent for that first round and missed some time there. But still, this was supposed to be an all time great team. And the Phoenix Suns, the way that they lost in such a humiliating fashion, there's a couple takes, t- takeaways. One, the greatness, and yes, I did say greatness, on display from one Luka Doncic, who had 35 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists to go with two steals and be a plus 37. It seemed like he did it without really breaking a sweat. From the opening minutes of the game to chilling by the end of the game, Luka Doncic, I think uh, for him, we are just coming to understand what type of young talent he is and trying to quantify what we're seeing without having some longstanding legacy or history to point to. Like with Giannis, when Giannis was just absolutely tearing up the second round. Um, and I know he, he was ultimately uh, on the losing side in a classic series that ended up with a lopsided finish as well in game seven. Share some thoughts about that in a second. But like with Giannis, uh, when some of those games were and he's just going nuclear and lifting his team without Chris Middleton and you're saying like, well, this is, this is one of the great players of all time. This is a top 20 player of all time. This is a guy who's already been back-to-back uh, MVP. This is a guy who's already you know, won Defensive Player of the Year in the same season that he won MVP. This is a guy who's won a, fine, a, a, a NBA championship and been finals MVP. So you, you, you have an easier time like quantifying it because the history that we can draw from. With Luka, what do we have? It's like you know maybe 22 total playoff games. I, 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 think that's, I think that's what we have here. Is it 22? I'll pull it up here in just a second. 23. So we have 23 playoff games to work off of. He's never played uh, in the NBA Finals. He's never played in the Western Conference Finals. He's, he's in Season 3. <laughs> like, so, um, or excuse me, he's in Season 4. So uh, his third postseason. But it's like one of these things where you're like, I think we're watching one of the greatest players to ever play. But you sound maybe a little bit silly saying it because he's just 23 years old and doesn't have the longstanding postseason experience or the accolades of someone like a Giannis or, or fill in the blank on who else. But damn it, <laughs> this dude is, some of the, is playing some of the best basketball I've ever seen. I mean, for real. Who who is the Avs set or at the Avs? It shows you where my head's at. I got tickets for game one, second round. That's where it's at. Um, but like who who is the Mavericks? Who is the second best player for for Dallas? Who's the second best player? Now, I'm not trying to besmirch anyone, okay? I'm really not. But you look at the dynamics of that basketball team, if they went on to win the championship. I think you could argue that they have the worst second-best player on a championship team in NBA history. I love Jalen Brunson. Seriously, I love his game. I love his toughness. I love his uh, willingness to have the ball in his hands. I love his pedigree. I root for Villanova guys. I'm a huge Jalen Brunson fan, okay? Jalen Brunson would be, uh, like I said, the second, uh, the, the, the worst second-best player on any title team in league history. And I don't even think that's really debatable. 
Uh, is it, you know, who are we talking about here? Dorian Finney-Smith? I mean, like, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, came out of the uh, the woodwork for Game 7 and scores 30, but that's a guy who's who comes off the bench. Like, Dorian uh, Finney-Smith scored five points in Game 7. Bullock scored five points. Powell scored six points. Doncic is just doing something that, uh, I got to be honest, I didn't see coming. Okay, I I have understood that he's been a great player in his trajectory, and you see the stats after 20 playoff games. Only Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan had more points in their first 20 playoff games, but but I didn't see this guys. This is this is something different. You're talking about a young player, a young a young bull who is just built different, who's in total control seemingly at all times. Who statistically, you look at his numbers from three, they're not like they're not they're not uh, terrific. And there's actually room to grow in that department and, and could, you know, if he ever gets to the point where he's like a 40% three-point shooter, Katie bar the door. But all his makes feel timely, the step back, the finishing around the rim. He does like a Euro step and sometimes will just literally just go um, in slow motion, almost like slow-mo, where he just is going to take his time and get to the second step and you're already off your feet and now he's going to purposefully explode into you for an and one I, I, he's not an above the rim athlete. He's sort of like a like a guard version of Jokic. Where if I um, you know pinned uh, NBA like like just average NBA fans like okay like what's the best part about Luka Doncic game? You may get just multiple different answers, and each one could be true. And I just couldn't be more impressed. I couldn't be more impressed, and I just didn't think this group had the collective talent. To play on the Western Conference Finals, I, I just didn't see it, and I looked at the collective in Phoenix, and just I, I just couldn't envision a scenario where Phoenix would get dispatched, and certainly didn't see a scenario where they got dispatched the way that it actually fell in just humiliating fashion, as Luca is literally laughing in the face of Suns fans in a sold-out arena in Phoenix that never caught traction as a fan base. Because the opening moments in the game belonged to Luka and the Mavs, and they never gave it up. Like they say, basketball's a game of runs. It was just a run. It was just one run. Uh, just, just one long run. The Mavericks at one point were up by 46 freaking points. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I got the Superbook app. This podcast presented by our friends at Superbook. Um, made some great money. Uh, and It's all relative, but... the, the it, um. The live from a live wagering standpoint, I had the Sun, I had a Celtics Suns money line parlay, and very quickly abandoned that parlay and just started peppering the live line, which I typically do not like to do, just as um, just as best practice because I think you can get in trouble trying to live wager a game during the game, and because it's a game of runs, what you think is going one way, then it's topsy turvy, spins another way, and you can get in trouble. But I saw the look on DeAndre Ayton's face the first time he hit the bench, and it looked like he got hit by a truck. I'm like, this group looks cooked. Chris Paul doesn't look like he can play anymore. And this is a guy who was, I thought, you know, a top 10 player in the league this year. The Suns were outscored by 39 points when Chris Paul was on the floor. Uh, Just a disaster week and a half for CP3. It went from, like, the the, the point God is not going to let these guys lose to is he going to play next year? That happened quick. Devin Booker, where are you at? Three for 14 from the field? Didn't hit a 3, 0 for 4, for 11 points? 
I see now Booker is 0 for 2 in closeout games and is averaging about 15 points a game. By the way, Jamal Murray in that same category, 7 and 2, getting about 28 points a game. I heard that uh, stat this morning by some, from, from someone who works for the Nuggets. Uh, really good stat, really, really valuable. Um, yeah, like what, what happened? What happened to the deepest roster ever? It just, just an absolute train wreck. A train wreck. Phoenix was outscored by 20 in the second quarter. It's just crazy. They're down 30 at half. I've never seen anything like that before. So the Mavs, man, you know, what was the price on a, on a, on a, um, uh, to win the West ticket at the start of the playoffs? Plus 2,000? It had to have been. And the Suns were the prohibited favorite. And, 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 this is, and this is my other, like, overarching takeaway of this Maverick Suns and really just the Suns isolated conversation. The assumption with windows. The assumption with windows and sports. And this is very relative to the Denver Nuggets. You look at, you look at the Suns, the way that they're built, a young Aiton, a young Booker. They got the toughness of Crowder, a point guard to lead them. And, and they're in the NBA Finals a year ago. They were up 2-0 to zero in the Finals and they ended up losing. And here they are following it up with a 64-win regular season. You, you, you follow it up with a first-round win. And then you look. You're out of the playoffs. Is Chris Paul going to come back? Could they even trade Chris Paul? Probably not. Uh, contract is really something. I think he's going to make like $37 million next year or something like that. You probably can't move him. DeAndre Ayton hasn't been paid yet. DeAndre Ayton played 17 minutes of the game. Monty Williams asked after the game why he didn't play uh, in the second half. It's, 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 it's internal. Oof. Not ideal. Could he get moved? Uh, just the construct of your team could get really shaken. And it probably should because you missed your window. You missed it. You screwed it up. You fumbled it. And you look at the Lakers. You think they're going to stand pat? We don't know what they're going to look like this coming year. The Nuggets are going to get healthy. You're going to look at a team like the Los Angeles Clippers who are going to have Kawhi and PG fully back in the fold and who knows what else they do uh, this offseason. Like, the West isn't getting easier. The West is going to get a lot tougher. And you had the easiest path to an NBA Finals that I could really remember. I mean, this was ready-made for them to, <coughs> to at least get back to the Finals for a con- second consecutive year. And by the way, like, Golden State shouldn't be scaring anyone. Now, I'm not saying that they're not going to come out of the West and play in the Finals and maybe even win the whole thing. But in terms of, like, the Warriors teams of the past, they're not, like, striking the fear of God in anyone, right? Like, they struggle a little bit with, with Memphis. Um, they didn't struggle much with the Nuggets, but it was a little bit tougher with Memphis losing multiple games there, and there was real pressure on them for game six, and they obviously prevailed, and they deserve all the credit. But in terms of, if, like, you're Phoenix, you weren't, like, you're chicken little with the Warriors. And then you have the world champion Bucks not, knocked out by the Celtics. I mean, it was just fully wide open for Phoenix, and they screwed it up, they fumbled it, and I believe that window is closed. Not saying they can't be a good team, but when those finals uh, numbers, those odds come out this offseason, I'm not expecting them to be in the top five. Whereas uh, just you know yesterday morning, they were still uh, right there with the favorite to win it all. And here they are going to miss the Western Conference finals. Incredible. Really, really incredible. A um, couple other thoughts here. Couple other thoughts. Uh, the other game seven uh, between the Bucks and the Celtics. 
That was also lopsided. And it was ultimately a 109-81 finish. Celtics prevail. I love the Celtics. If you follow me on Twitter, at Byesline, before the Celtics series started, uh, I I gave a preview of the series and had Celtics winning in seven. Up until game seven, no team uh, had won consecutive games. Each team was one and two on their home floor. We made another video before the game started. We picked Celtics to be the team uh, to uh, get to a second win on their home floor. We picked the Celtics uh, minus five, and we said the home court would be a factor uh, in game seven. I think it was. And unfortunately for the Bucks, Giannis um, just couldn't do the heavy lifting over and over and over. You look at the team around him without Chris Middleton. That was a big theme of the series. You're missing your three-time All-Star and All-Star and 20 points per night. It's tough enough to make up for that raw number. But you look at the dynamics of the way that the Celtics play defense. Super physical, switch heavy, and when you're as switch heavy and as good as it at it as Boston is, it takes away a lot of those initial actions and you need a guy who can go downhill and create off the bounce for himself and Middleton was the best representation of that and I just didn't think Drew Holiday was going to be 25 26 points a night consistently and he wasn't he went nine for 21 I think coming into game seven he was shooting 33 percent uh on the series maybe 35 percent no I think it's 33 so just not good enough he went 0 for 6 from three in game seven um just um, just not good enough. The Bucks went four for 33 from three-point range. Guys, that is 12%. And meanwhile, you had the most threes ever made in a game seven when the Celtics were draining 22. And early in that game, um, I thought it was going to be remembered as the Grant Williams game for different reasons. I mean, that guy had a lot of pressure on him early in that game and couldn't make shots. And you could hear the crowd, the deflation of it. Uh, miss after miss. Well, he ultimately finds his groove and makes seven threes. File that under things you just didn't see coming. So, and Jason Tatum, what a series for Tatum. A coming-of-age series uh, for the 24-year-old former third uh, third overall pick. I thought what he did in game six was, you know, historic. Uh, when you put together his all-time highlights and you talk about like a coming-of-age a moment within within a coming of age series that game six where they blow it in game five they blew it gave up a fourteen point fourth quarter lead at home to pick themselves back up by the bootstraps and go into Milwaukee and win that game the way that they did in game six I was just beyond impressed where Tatum goes for forty six this is a guy who earlier in the series uh, finished had, he had a he had a ten point game it was four for nineteen from the floor I think that was uh, game three. Uh, and just what a finish to the series. Uh, game four, Tatum had 30. Game five, he had 34. Game six, he had 46. And game seven, with it all on the line, he shoots 50%, made five threes, and goes for a very impactful 23 points, six rebounds, and a whopping eight assists that tied a series high uh, for Tatum. So good for that young player, good for the Celtics, uh, should be good for the NBA, a major market team, a real heritage brand playing in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, should be really fun. And then you, you look at a team like uh, the Miami Heat, the least talked about one seed in NBA history. Uh, they're going to go up uh, head-to-head with um, uh, Boston here. All right, let's take a look at the schedule. First game of that series is going to be Tuesday. 
All right. Uh, waiting to hear about Kyle Lowry dealing with a hamstring. Okay. We'll, we'll wait uh, for that news. Uh, so that game number one will be on ESPN at 6.30 Mountain Time, 8.30 Eastern uh, on Tuesday evening. And then the first game of the Golden State-Dallas matchup will happen on Wednesday at 7 o'clock here uh, Mountain Time on TNT. Uh, the folks on the East Coast where I'm from uh, have to wait until 9 o'clock for that game to start. And I can tell you, man, uh, from from past, <laughs> you know, having lived that, um, that is a brutal time to wait for a game. That game's not going to get over until, you know, 1130 at night or whatever. The mountain time zone, definitely the best time zone uh, to be watching sports for, for sure. Pacific uh, out there in the, on the on the West Coast, just a little bit too early uh, for football and games like that, where that game on Wednesday, uh, if you're, you know, Golden State, that's going to start at uh, 6 o'clock in the evening. There's a lot of people trying to still scramble home from work uh, at that time. So, uh, anyway, uh, we have a fun, fun few matchups here, com- a fun fun couple matchups as the uh, conference finals are set. You look at it, uh, by the way, just quick thought here. You look at the, the, the place that the game of basketball is in right now in two categories. One, the international flavor of it, all right, where the, the MVP of the league is named Jokic, Don- <laughs> Nikola Jokic. The, uh, the runner-up is named Joel Embiid, right, from Cameroon. The best player maybe remaining in the playoffs is Luka Doncic, right? You have, um, in, in terms of young talent, the, the, the Jalen Browns and the Jason Tatums and, you know, the Tyler Heroes and Bam Adebayos and um, you, you throw Jalen Brunson, you know, emerging uh, for, for Dallas. And, you know, we've seen Jordan Poole really splash onto the scene uh, in Golden State and, it's just, uh, I think the game is in a really, really good place from a youth standpoint and also an international standpoint. Um, that uh, it's just key. It's key for 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 a league that, uh, or for, for a league like the NBA that's you know becoming global um, very, very quickly if it's not there uh, already. Okay, guys, we'll leave it there for now. Those are a couple of the uh, playoff thoughts. Hopefully, you guys had a great weekend of watching the games, and I can't wait to check in. Uh, the next time and break down some of these conference finals matchups uh, right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast.